Welcome to the Happy Mouth Podcast, your delicious daily news fix for the hospitality community. We will be offering a craveable menu of headlines, food for thought, and much, much more. These are the bite-sized news stories you need to know, and they'll drop every morning, Monday through Friday. Hello, world, and welcome back to the Happy Mouth Podcast, your delicious daily news fix for the hospitality community. I'm restaurateur Philip Camino. I am based in Los Angeles, California, and as always, joined here with my partner in crime on this podcast, an all-around rock star slash amazing person who's wearing a really cool hat today, Naisha Arrington, Chef Naisha Arrington. There she is. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. Coming in hot off of the amazing holiday weekend. Yeah. Wearing my crispy Stetson hat. That's a styling hat. Thanks. I really like it. Oh, I appreciate yeah, it. it looks awesome on you. To paint the visual, it's charcoal gray, guys, and it has dark um, kind of stitching around. I've had it for years, and it's a trusty, trusty uh, part of my wardrobe. Yeah, it's right. You kind of beat the curve on that one because hats only got really cool like in the last four or five years. So you were ahead of that one. I pay all respects to my mom. She was definitely yeah. a hat girl and has some super cool photos from the 70s. And these like super stylish, like blazers, like skirt blazers oh, with yeah. a matching hat. I'm like, okay, mom. Yeah. Yes. I've seen some old photos of my mom before in the 60s and 70s. And I was like, that was you. I know, right? Just looking cool by a pool. For sure. You know, just chilling, long hair. You're like, mom yes okay yes you're like oh it makes sense where i get all my good looks from all your swag <laughs> i like it i like it well yeah great hat good wardrobe change today thanks i like it as i've mentioned before on the pod summer is my spirit animal and i love a good holiday weekend so it was very restorative um saw some amazing fireworks hang out with some friends i did minimal cooking this um this oh. weekend but i did cook a lot for a family barbecue the weekend prior. So this weekend I got cooked for. So that was really nice. Being a chef, you know, not a lot of people actually cook for me. I generally do the cooking. So it was a nice little exchange there. That's amazing. Good food? Yeah, delicious. Some delicious um, Indian cuisine, actually. Oh, lovely. I love Indian food. Same. Love Indian food. (laughs) I was uh, eating a restaurant yesterday in Palm Springs, California. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was great out there. Beautiful weather, really hot. It was close to 110 on Sunday, but really dry heat. So (laughs) I like it. I I like it. You don't really sweat too much because it just kind of evaporates off of you. Totally. Um, And if you've got a body of water near you... You're good. Yeah. You just got to kind of get through that hot part of the afternoon. But once you get through that, sure. you're good. I ordered some guacamole, sat by the pool, and had a long conversation uh, with the person who was uh, delivering hospitality to me by the pool. Um, and we're just talking about avocados, to be um, honest about where we were going with that conversation. And the avocado uh, shortage came up. They were talking about not being able to get them from suppliers in an adequate time and it affecting the price of guacamole that they were charging customers and just the sort of all-around supply shortage um, that we were uh, experiencing, they were experiencing ongoing of recent. And then we, you know, looked in the news and it looks like uh, some of the more popular chains in the market and one that we talk about quite often on this podcast, Chipotle, is also running into some of the same issues. So we thought we'd highlight that and kind of talk through it today. There's a huge spectrum of what's going on. So we're actually going to be covering a little bit of supply chain conversation and kind of what's been the journey of the avocado as of recently. 
that long, long journey in the life of an avocado is where our story begins. Yes. So today, PC and I will be talking about the projective avocado shortage later this year that might impact supply chain and what that means for menu prices. We'll also cover this topic from the details of the avocado themselves and the impact on fast casual giant Chipotle, their stock margin and what this means for their employees. So, you know, whether or not you're into avocados or not, you've probably heard about the surge in demand for guacamole and some increases in prices for guacamole at certain restaurants, chains, and grocery stores. Love avocado myself. Tons of slow-burning fats and just overall just good for you. Lots of potassium, lots of good things for the old body. Externally and internally, they make a great hair mask. They make, that's what I do with <laughs> My overripe avocados, because I don't know about you, like when I buy avocados, I'm like, oh, I'm going to wait a couple of days, wait till it's perfect. At 10 a.m. it's perfect. I get home at six and I'm ready to eat it and it's overripe, but I don't want to like throw it out because like <laughs> they're really expensive. So you just blend it up and put it in your hair or make a facial out of it. It's perfect. One other thing is blending avocados into smoothies is becoming uh, much more popular. As time goes on, people are doing it a lot more. It just adds a certain texture and like a creaminess uh, yeah. to some of these. And I, I personally really like it. Me too. It actually adds a really good fat because you get that viscosity like you would from a banana without the residual sugar in it. So big fan of avocados and smoothies for sure. And when you walk into a Chipotle, you can add avocado to just about anything you order. And that usually comes with uh, an upcharge so as an add-on. By now, the chain is pretty familiar, Chipotle we're speaking about, uh, with the spiking avocado prices. They've been skyrocketing over the last few years, upwards of 129%. And the national average of a single Haas avocado is around $2.10, which is almost doubled. Oh. Yes, doubled in just one year. The most common types of avocado are Haas. But there are so many other delicious varieties of avocados, and they have fantastic avocado varietals at the farmer's market. Bacon is one. It's a little bit less oily than a Haas avocado. There's also the Fuerte. Yes. Which, yes, which is very rich, sort of nutty. There's also the Reed avocado, which is very creamy, very smooth in texture, and has like this sort of excellent uh, buttery flavored flesh. And there's also the Gwen and the Pinkerton. I know the Fuerte comes from Central America, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. uh, the other varietals that you're talking about, are those California grown? Yes. I mean, I get them from J.J. Sloan at the Santa Monica Farmer's Market, and they're some of my favorite. I mean, I'm the type of girl who, like, cuts an avocado in half and, like, puts on, <laughs> like, everything bagel spice from Trader Joe's. I don't know if you guys are, like, fans of that out there, but, like, highly recommend it. It's got delicious flaky salt in it, some sesame seeds, dehydrated onion. And um, just super bomb. So like I'll take an avocado, cut it in half from her and then just eat it straight like that. And that's like a meal in itself. <laughs> um, should we pay some bills here? Yeah, let's do it. Having trouble staffing up? You're not alone. Our industry is facing an unprecedented labor shortage and tech will play a central role in solving this problem. Yelp Kiosk was built in 2018 for restaurants who couldn't afford to pay a dedicated host. In 2021, Yelp Kiosk is supporting restaurants that want to do more with less. By adding Kiosk, your host is no longer trapped behind the host stand, enabling them to assist in all front of house operations. Learn about how Kiosk can help your restaurant at restaurants.yelp.com slash kiosk. So the top three suppliers for Chipotle's avocados are Mexico, Peru, and California. 
Uh, Mexico is the number one supplier and regularly ships fewer avocados during sort of this hot summer season that we're experiencing in the Northern Hemisphere right now. Meanwhile, shipments from Peru typically increase during the summer, during our summer, due to the reverse seasons because obviously Peru is south of the equator in the Southern Hemisphere. But they, you know, don't really have enough supply to make up the gap in demand uh, coming from Peru. So once Mexico typically goes down a few points, it's hard to kind of make up that, you know, make up that supply. So that's why you see in the summer months, typically a little bit of a, an increase in, in shortage of supply and an increase in pricing. And demand also typically goes up in the summer as well for avocados because of things like guacamole. I mean, avocados are a whole vibe, I feel like. It's yes. like part of summer. You're trying to eat chips and guac and have yep. like a rosé all day, like every weekend. Do you have like a personal connection with Peru, do you not? I sure do. Thank you for bringing that up. My father's Peruvian, was born in Lima and was educated. Yeah. It's- Beautiful. I mean, some of the best restaurants in the world. Yep. Central. Yes. Yeah. He was born there. He grew up there, was schooled there, went to college in Canada where he met my mother, my dear mother. That's where they started their life. I actually started my life in Toronto, Canada, was born there. But when we were very young, I think six months old, I was, we <laughs> took a trip south and uh, moved to Miami. So I spent the first like five, six, seven years of my life in Miami. And then we lived in Spain for a little while because my dad was a banker and was kind of being shipped all over the world at that point in his life to open up new markets for this Canadian bank that he worked for called RBC. And then I went to high school in Toronto, college in Montreal, worked in Toronto for a couple years after college. And then I moved to our fair city, Los Angeles. And I've been here ever since and probably I'm not going anywhere. I like it here. Yeah, everyone wants to be in L.A. Such a vibe. It is. Yeah. It's our city. Totally. For context, CFO Jack Hardung from Chipotle mentioned in a recent statement that the company has diversified its efforts in where they source their avocados um, in the past few years to sort of counteract seasonal shortages, as you mentioned, Peru, Mexico, California. And Hardung also adds that the steady demand of guac is really what is causing this supply chain issue, as you mentioned, uh, this time every single year. According to the Truist, which is the eighth largest U.S. commercial bank, um, there's a gentleman there, analyst Jake Bartlett says that avocados make up 5 to 10% of Chipotle's ingredient costs. Wow. Yeah. That's substantial. Yeah. Because I mean, they don't have avo on every dish, and it's really an add-on. So that's considerable. They, they must make phenomenal money on avocados um, out of that location, out of all the locations out of that chain. Sure. Yeah, exactly. I'd have to, I'd have to imagine it's because of the sheer volume that of the Chipotles that are there that make up that uh, significant role in the company's um, margin. Yes. So yes, 5 to 10%. And they have the potential to play a significant role in the company's stock margins. The Haas Avocado Board is projecting a 6% decline in third quarter avocado sales based off of the comparison of last year. Interesting. Right? 6% decline, I would assume that's because there's less supply. There's just less to buy. Right. 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 With the smaller supply of avocados, it makes it more costly for Chipotle to mix their guac, which makes sense, lead to them trying to compensate that cost on their menu. So with the smaller supply of avocados, it makes it more costly for Chipotle to mix their guac, which you can see that they might lead to higher prices on their menus to compensate. 
Uh, however, Chipotle's not alone in facing ingredient shortages right now. There are suppliers nationally uh, who are scrambling to adjust to the increased demand. You know, there's a few factors here. Restaurants reopening. There's a couple hundred thousand more restaurants ordering items like avocados right now. You factor in the, in California anyway, shortage of labor at farms and production facilities. So the California and U.S. grown avocados, um, there's definitely going to be some supply side pressure downwards coming from that issue just on the labor side. And then you've got issues due to the pandemic twofold. One, the Suez Canal, uh, that was a big issue that really backed things up for weeks and weeks and weeks. There wasn't supply that was able to get through, make its way up to the U.S. and get proliferated throughout the marketplace. And there was a blockage of the Suez Canal by a, a freight, like a ship liner for weeks, I believe it was two or three weeks. So there just wasn't anything able to get through. And it's one of the major kind of like passage ports uh, sure. leading up from South America up into North America. So when, when that happens, you know, all of that shipments of avocados and other produce just wasn't able to get through and it causes supply issues. And then that causes, obviously, you know, <laughs> the demand stays the same or goes up in the summer months. And all of a sudden you've got way less supply. Sure. It's a challenge. One of the other issues that we uncovered in the research is that supermarkets prefer a certain type of avocado, which is a, a number nine. Restaurants, like we spoke about previously, don't necessarily distinguish between sizes. But supermarkets usually like one particular size. And if those sizes aren't available, which this year there's actually been like a 10% reduction in that size nine uh, that grocery stores prefer to stock, they start kind of to, to meet their demand if they can't get the nines to start grasping on other sizes that might be earmarked for restaurants, right? So ends up being a tough position for a restaurant to be in because then your supplier is not getting their normal allocation sure. um, of something like this. They don't have as much time to spend to grow on the trees. So they're maybe picking them a little bit early. Exactly. Sure. I think that all goes back to the, the demand and right. also the supply shortage, just not letting them grow as much as they normally would. You know, another interesting um, sort of data piece to this is that scientists and researchers believe that in less than 30 years, avocados could possibly go extinct. And I mean, that's in our lifetime, which is I don't even want to fathom. Oh, my gosh. All the millennials out there <laughs> I are like, mean, no. Literally, I've <laughs> no. seen like whole avocado toast sections on menus now. Yes. Yeah. You, know? you kind of have to. You have to, yeah. especially in California. And yep. the growing avocados has been an increasing issue. Not only does one single avocado take 60 gallons of water to grow. What? Yes. That's crazy. Yes. It also requires lots of exposure to the sun. And the sheer demand of the fruit is, you know, as we mentioned, a huge contributing factor you know, I'm not really aiming to give avocados a bad rap here, but avocado production has led to some extreme practices, even deforestation, um, just to keep up with the demand. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I know that there was that much water that went into avocado production. That's such it's an insane. interesting stat. Almonds yeah. are also um, huge water drinkers as well. Yeah. And like we've said on the pod before, I mean, the nation's restaurant hospitality workforce is not even close to what it was pre-pandemic. And that, again, it's a supply chain, whether or not it's a restaurant, whether or not it's a grocery store, whether or not it's the, the person that works at the farm or the delivery driver or the person that works at the chicken factory. We've talked about all these roles. Everyone is not staffed up. So as soon as you have a decrease of any kind of production, it's going to make it difficult for restaurants, hospitality, and just the general population 
to get these goods because there's just less of it coming out. Totally. There's a domino effect that happens. Absolutely. Yeah. In May, nearly 300,000 restaurant jobs were added to the workforce. And it seems as though field labor is down nearly 2.5 million. And this data is coming from the Department of Labor. Factors that could contribute to unemployment are a lack of childcare, health concerns, personal savings, which also could be delaying the return of workers. Restaurants across the country are offering increased wages to sort of encourage their staffs to return to work. For example, there's big corporations like McDonald's, IHOP, Taco Bell, and they're offering incentive programs uh, like appreciation pay, both sign-on and referral bonuses. As we've spoke about on previous episodes, Chipotle also went to a $15 an hour um, wage as of June and has introduced a referral program in the structure of a bonus uh, at $750 per hire. Smart. Yeah. You have to incentivize nowadays. I mean, there's too many lanes to have side hustles with the with social media and just sure. digital language in general. Yeah. Everyone's got a side hustle these days. That's another thing that hasn't really been talked about too much. I mean, we, we've we talked on the pod just about the overall shortage. And we spoke to Brad Metzger about his insight into why there's a labor shortage. And it was interesting, you know, talking about people going online, looking at job sites, browsing through them, but actually not hitting the apply button. So we know that there's people in the market, there's people browsing, there's an interest level there, but they're just not applying. Sure. And I think that the point you just made, which I had actually never contemplated until this moment, amazing insight. People are doing other things. And and the pandemic gave people a lane or an opportunity to explore their side hustles even more because you had time. You were on a stimulus check. You didn't have a ton of pressure to be anywhere working. And frankly, you were just like, okay, well, what's my true interest here? What do I really want to be doing? And I think you're right. I think that's keeping some people on the sideline here. Really interesting insight. Chipotle's CEO, Brian Nichols, said along the same lines, the current landscape of the labor market is, quote unquote, the most challenging he's seen in his career in the industry. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of restaurateurs and CEOs would say the same thing. I certainly look at the problem and I do see the same type of issue. My company is a little bit more focused on fine dining versus sort of this QSR type model. And I do think the QSRs are going to struggle uh, a little bit more to find uh, line level employees because it's a little bit less of a maybe an aspirational role. I think it's an, more of an entry level one. I do think these companies are doing a great job with offering advancement possibilities to the entire organization and really looking at new employees at their companies as people who they want to really take care of and move them through the organization. But I think if you're someone who's in, you know, if you're a fine dining chef or a sous chef or a CDC in that world, that's what you do. And you're going to always want to do that because it's sort of your vocation. So we're having a little less of a hard time at my place, like bringing people in. It's still challenging, though. It's still challenging to find people at every position right now. So I I do agree that this is the most challenging we've ever seen it. A lot of people just, you're even hiring them, sending out offer letters, you're going through the interview process, and then they just don't show up. So it's, yeah, it's certainly challenging out there. It's interesting to see what Chipotle has done here. I mean, their average general manager is making about 100K. And one of the other benefits that they include in their package are 401k plans, debt-free degrees from accredited universities that are- It's amazing. Yeah. So universities that are connected to a program they have called the Guild Education, which is an interesting model. 
the guild education basically upskills the worker to prepare for the organization to better the organization's future as a whole. So you're getting paid, compensated, I should say, to, you know, share your time with this company, but you're also learning a skill, you know, whether that be leadership or costing or, you know, what have you, which makes sense. You're going to benefit the company and you're also going to gain a new skill set. The other challenge is, and I think it's amazing what Chipotle and some other large multinationals are doing um, with their labor force and recognizing that employees who work at the store level are the most vital resource that they have, more vital than avocados and more vital than any other supply. You got to focus on the employees. You got to make sure those people are happy. They're tuned in. They want to be there. They're compensated properly. They have a benefit package. And kudos to them for recognizing that and implementing. They are trying to hire 20,000 new employees company-wide by the end of June. Obviously, that's a couple of weeks ago. Don't know if they reach that goal or not, but that's why you're seeing this pressure on labor right now. You're starting to see companies like Chipotle going, hey, we need 20,000 people. That's unprecedented. There's never been, and there's five or 10 companies like that trying to hire as much. Taco Bell, I've heard needs to hire 10 to 20,000 people, KFC, every single multinational who's out there operating is trying to hire tons and tons of people. And those those people just don't exist, like we've said. 20,000 employees over, I mean, they have almost 3,000 locations. Is Once you like sort of look at it like that, I mean, they are totally a huge, huge brand. Yeah, yeah seven people per store essentially you know? is what it averages to. Yeah, 20,000 new employees. These are like, it's on top of their existing employee base. Yeah. So to offset the cost of increasing wages of its employees, I mean, because all of these programs come at a cost to the company, right? You're these value incentives and uh, increased education and lowering that worker back in comes at a cost. So um, menu prices have gone up about 4% already. Yep. And the company's executives say they would rather avoid raising their prices at all. But if the increasing cost of doing business goes up, I mean, you're not really leaving yourself with a lot of options other than to try to um, help offset that, right? To remain profitable. Isn't the price of everything in the world up 4% already it this year? It seems so. Yeah. I mean, that's a definitely tried and true trend over the last sure. 10 years of just cost of goods going up in general. I just mean in the entire marketplace. I mean, quite literally, every future is up 4%. The market's up. Every single item that we purchase in a restaurant and quite frankly, on even restaurants that we're building, I mean, woods, uh, marbles, uh, flooring, like you name it, labor, everything, every single thing out there is up substantially. And some things are up like 10%. So it's making the market more expensive. But I also think that there is in this type of good, a 4% increase. Look, if something's nine ninety nine, it ends up being ten thirty nine. It's not that substantial where it's going to turn someone off. I think when you start getting into 15, 20% increases, that's where you got to be careful on menuing. But like I've said on the pod before, we had an example from a few years ago where we took the menu prices up a dollar across the board overnight, didn't say anything, not one complaint. So I do think there's some elasticity in um, in menu prices across the board. And I think it's just a matter of kind of looking at your own restaurant, looking at what you're offering, the environment, uh, the type of cuisine, and making the right decision for your spot. This year, interestingly enough, has already been kind of an up and down year for avocado prices. Costs were relatively high, but they decreased by a whopping 26% in the first quarter of the year because there was uh, so much more 
supply, which is basically the opposite of what we're kind of seeing right now. You know, that supply came from Mexico and then pricing actually went up about 4% in the second quarter. And that was, again, due to the challenges that we've had with the supply that we outlined on this show. Analyst Bartlett estimates that another 10% spike in avocado prices could equate to dragging down Chipotle stock nearly 10 to 12 cents per share in Q3. That's substantial. Cut to late June, shares of Chipotle, which goes by CMG, are up by 5% this year so far, adding up to a market value of $42 billion for the company overall. Yeah, I mean, Chipotle, along with many of the QSRs nationally, have had a great pandemic and a great post-pandemic. Labor shortages aside, they've been able to increase sales. They've got migrated a lot of their customers onto digital ordering platforms. They've been able to get people back into the actual stores. And they've also, on a lot of these menus, not in-store as much, but on the delivery menus, been able to take prices up pretty substantially and realize that the customer is still going to pay for it. So they're having a good couple of years, which is why you see that stock price go up. Question for you, Chef. If you went into Chipotle, which I don't know if you do or not. I once in a while eat at Chipotle. Um, I don't mind it. Um, If you went in there, what would be the sort of price point where it would make your eyes sort of light up and go, oh, that's a little too expensive for like a guacamole at one? If they were like, oh, here, guac's 50 cents. Where would that price elasticity be for you in terms of saying no to an add-on? Because I think that's the inflection point here for a brand like Chipotle is like when we can raise prices, but when does the customer start going, oh, no, I can't afford that. At 50 cents, it's fine or a dollar, but is it a dollar 50? Like, where do you kind of see that point being? Okay. So here's my analytical chef brain turning on. Okay. Let's go. Yes. I love when this happens. So if I look at an avocado, that's, let's call it for sake of math, $2 and $2, right? right. On average. You're for a side of avocado, you're probably going to get a quarter of that avocado. Right. So yep. it's 50 cents cost to the restaurant. I need to charge at least $2, you know, 50 cents, $3 for that side for it to make sense, for it to pay my employee to cut it, make it delicious, package it up, yep. pay for the vessel that it's going in, pay the cashier to, you know, make that transaction. For someone like me, if I'm so passionate about having avocado <laughs> and it's like, or some people are, you know, two or three bucks, like I'm not going to be mad at it. But anywhere over that, then I couldn't, it wouldn't make sense in my brain because I know what it costs at the wholesale price for that avocado. Sure. You know, there is an inflection point. I don't know what that is. And I'm sure Chipotle is spending a lot of time because as we said earlier, five to 10% of their menu revenue comes from these avocado add-ons. I mean, it's substantial for them. They need to figure out what that point is. I think for me, when you start to get above the $2 range, it starts to go, okay, two bucks when traditionally it's been sort of 50 cents to a dollar, maybe a little bit more. But I think $2 is probably around the general consumer's like point of, okay, that's, you know, that's getting, that's getting up there. An entire side with, for that, um, you know, black beans or rice or what have you. 100%. That's the matrix that I think Chipotle needs to figure out because if this keeps happening, and it probably will, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, um, they're going to need to know what that point is. Or do you run it as a little bit of a loss leader? Maybe perhaps you don't take it up and you just go, look, we're not going to make as much margin on these avocados for the next 12 months. We build that into the budget. We know that's happening. We know there's supply issues. And seasonally, these are going to happen every single year. So maybe we build into our budget the fact that there's a cap on it. I, th- I actually find it pretty a pretty fascinating problem because totally. for a brand like that, they know that that's a huge part of their sales or portion of revenue. 
I mean, in terms of their uh, cost of goods and mm-hmm. yeah, and, and product mix, they need to figure that out. I mean, that's a huge piece here. Interesting, yeah. interesting issue to have. Thanks, Jeff. That was fun. Yeah, definitely. And that's all for our Bite Size News segment. Thanks for listening to our avocado talk today. You can find us at happymouthpodcast.com as well as restaurants.yelp.com backslash happymouth or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for dining with us today and we hope to see you next time. Have a nice day.